Song you just heard is Dog of War by the Hell Yeah Babies, which means I'm Nick Bond. I'm David Gibb. And this is how wrestling explains the world. Exciting episode today, Dave. Exciting episode. So exciting. We we couldn't contain it amongst ourselves. Uh, yeah, that's right. We actually have a guest. Darren, uh, introduce yourself. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, this is Darren Jackson. Um, I'm excited to be here in this exciting episode of How Wrestling Explains the World. Glad to be here. It's like sweaty weeder and excitement. It's it's good. Well, this is this is radio, Nick. So you need to tell, not show. <laughs> uh, we are uh, we wanted you on uh, in part because you and I fell in love with the new day at around the same time. But also, uh, to be honest, because uh, I don't think we can speak to our experiences as black wrestling fans, uh, and that's one of the things we wanted to talk about with the new day. I wanted to do a list of the brief and unfortunate history of WWE's black characters before the new day uh so i wanted to start with one that i think really exemplifies the wweification of or in this case the wwefification of a territorial performer like coco beware was a lot tougher guy on the in the territories than he ended up being in the wwf which was basically a guy with a bird and i think that's something you saw a lot right dave oh yeah definitely i mean regardless of race i mean race independent like at the time wwf was kind of where you went to to become a cartoon character and then when you when you layer the kind of inherent racism of the whole enterprise over that of course the characters who were who were not white had were even more so yeah. And, and Darren, as someone who's, uh, you know, old, uh, <laughs> how do you feel about like debuting around the same time as Coco Beware? How do you feel like, how do you feel what now? Sorry. Uh, given your age, your advanced age. Oh yeah, I get it. That was, that was a rough one. Sorry. <laughs> um, but having not known Coco beforehand, um, and being a child that was a child at the time, um, a dude, in brightly colored clothes and a parrot didn't seem weird to me because everything else was just as bright and ridiculous par for the course. Yeah, yeah. No, I think Coco Beware is a, is like a totally normal uh, example of what happens when you become like a cartoon character, like Dave said, uh, after you're a real character beforehand. Which brings us to uh, another changed character, Akeem the African Dream, which is a, literally just George Gray doing a Dusty impression uh, and an impression of, uh, I guess, the Pan-African, like a, not an impression, a parody of like people from the Pan-African movement and just a lot of different uh, black nationalists and stuff like that. He, it's both a rib on a specific character and an incredibly racist caricature of people, of a person end of a group of people one of the worst gimmicks they've come up with especially akeem with the big boss man is a is like it's just bad all the way around there's no redeem am i fair to say that there's no redeeming aspect of akeem the african dream like i'm not missing something with akeem right i don't want to say redeeming but i would like to just like it's it, this is totally apologetic or apologizing ishness um but i can't help it because it it was a product of the times. This was a time when, because my favorite other example of something like that, which is, again, not on the same caliber, but it's Man Mountain Rock, who was Max Payne previously, which was like a grunge dude, and they turned him into Dude Love, basically, with a guitar. And that's it's aesthetically the exact same thing that they did. It took a big dude who had a rough exterior that was kind of like a kind of grungy, beat-em-up guy, and they put him in bright colors and into a cartoon character. So it's... They had a habit of doing this exact thing. It just this one happened to go in a really bad direction. 
<laughs> and the other, I guess, again, not a redeeming quality, but this is just a product of my being ignorant and young. For a very long time, I thought legitimately that Akeem the African Dream was the same guy that was in Indiana Jones um, alongside Indy, who's, I forget that guy's name. Oh, John Rhys Davies. Yeah, I thought they were the same. Yeah, I thought they were the same person for a very long time. Yeah, no, I, I immediately knew who you were talking about. No, yeah, I mean, like, I just feel like with the Akeem the African Dream, it's just so needlessly cruel at a time when a lot of their characters were needlessly cruel to people of color. Uh, Virgil is the one that the other one that comes to mind from this time of just like a really horrifying character to have happen in the mid 80s. Like, there's a lot of stuff, and this is something Dave and I talked about, uh, have talked about in previous episodes, with the NWA and, like, talking about race relations and, like, the the good guys are what we would now consider progressives and the bad guys are react reactionary racists, basically. With the WWF, they, like, talked about race as though it were, like, a hat somebody wore and not a part of their identity like the identity politics i guess of wwf was so twisted at the time that like virgil seems like it's not like a horrifying callback to slavery it seems like it's a rich guy with a manservant and I, I like but looking back it's like it's another thing that's really like i mean if your your plan is ultimately to have that payoff for virgil it makes sense but it doesn't seem it took so long to get there that it feels like you couldn't have argued that that was the eventual payoff you know what i'm saying well the thing to me is that it it in and this is just like hindsight being or time being sort of collapsed at a certain point in the past that's a bad way of putting it but if you look at old D- disney or warner brothers cartoons you don't give them a pass, but you look at those depictions and you're like, oh my God, that's awful. But that was, they were dumb. And I kind of, you'd like to give that same sort of dumb pass to WWF at the time, but that was only like 1987. Yeah, so it really exactly. wasn't that long ago. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's not like Song of the South or something like that in like the 40s, which is super racist and horrifying. There's a reason they don't talk about it. But like, they were literally like, hey, we have an idea. We have this rich character and we want to give him a manservant. But wouldn't it be great if, again, we made fun of Dusty Rhodes and made it this time, this time, an actual black guy that will be a manservant for this awful dude. And, like, I don't even think that the black part, the black part of Virgil, Virgil being a black guy, was to, like, get heat. It was almost like, well, who else would you make a manservant? Like, that's almost the vibe they gave because there's not this... Eventually, they build to him breaking away from DiBiase, but it... It really comes off in the beginning as he's just like a goon that this guy hired and then turned into his manservant. It's very weird. Yeah, at least Nikolai Volkov had some version of a story going behind it. Like there was some some pathos there. Virgil, no. It's like that was all he ever was. There was no before and basically no after. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they tried. <laughs> right, right, Dave? They tried to give Virgil something. Yeah, well, what, what I think is interesting, Nick, is you were saying, like, all oh, the, the the Virgil thing, it's so undeniably racially charged. You know what? I think that this is, like, a great example of, I don't know, a, a lot of people like to say, at least on the kind of uh, lefty Twitterverse, a lot of people like to say that, like, a lot of the problems of capitalism bear themselves out in wrestling because wrestling is, like, one of the most capitalistic things out there. But, like, that quote-unquote, like, 
color blindness that like capitalists pretend to practice. I I kind of always see that in some of this stuff that like, I think Vince McMahon would tell you that like this stuff wasn't racist and that like Virgil's race had absolutely no bearing on any aspect of that story and that it wasn't like a racist rib on Dusty. You know what I mean? I think that like there's this whole like that's entertainment, which is kind of one of the, you know, why, why racist depictions have persisted so long. Like you guys said, there's like even 40 years after the real bad stuff, there's still stuff that's almost as bad. You know what I mean? And I, I think that, that we kind of, I don't know, we, we see that, that ignorance play up here where, like I said, I think Vince McMahon would tell you this isn't racial at all. But like you said, Nick, you were like, well, there's no way you can read this that isn't racial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's less so that like he wouldn't say it was racial, that he would say in my heart, I did not think less of Virgil or in this case, Mike J- Jones, Mike Jones, Mike Jones, who? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's already that's already a joke on another podcast guys we can't do it no we're doing it okay <laughs> uh but no I, I feel like he would say no i understand the way you would if you were to explain to him like the logic and the path of the ways in which it was racist i don't think he would disagree with you but i don't think he as someone someone might say had racism in his heart it was and as i think both of you are kind of saying it was well what's the best way to get this story over oh, well, we'll do it this way. But I don't think that, and I think this is probably a sign of the times, the racial connotations of that weren't as, like, troubling. They were bothersome. If that, I, I don't know how else to describe Is like, racism, what we thought to be racism at the time, we as a collective white people, I should say, was, like, actual saying racial slurs and stuff like that and being discriminatory to a person because they were black. And I think that's the thing that's changed the most. And I think if you view it through that lens, which is like doing racist things that are explicitly racist is what makes you racist. I don't know if Virgil's a racist character, but if you use the more like microaggression-y kind of uh, telling of what, what is racist or isn't racist, he's just like, he is the second most racist character I can think of behind Saba Simba, who is Tony Atlas. That shit is the absolute worst character. And then to me, the worst, most racist thing they did was uh, in a feud with Bad News Brown, Rowdy Roddy Piper wore blackface. Only half. <laughs> How do you, is, it, is it okay, Darren? Is he only wore half? He could have been part Sicilian, you know. <laughs> wow, you're really just an apologist for. <laughs> it's all it's all over there in in the EU. At the yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> no, is one of the points um, about the, the knowing like um, malice involved in the decisions they were making. Even if the decision making wasn't like outwardly um, attacking black people because they were black or the performers or anything like that, there was and always has been and even still is to this day a lens that the black performers were viewed through. Um, not as much today, obviously. Um, they realize they can make a lot more money with um, highlighting certain people. But up until two thousand, what nine, ten? Yeah, basically, it's, it's, it's kind of the thing where oh well, a, a minority lead can't sell a Hollywood movie, so let's get Matt Damon. That kind of a thing. That has always been a lens that's been used. So certain performers were regarded 
um, even in the building of their characters, stuff is, and you, I've talked to you about this before, Nick, um, something as, as in, um, what's the word, integral as their intros and the type of music that they're given, uh, the number of black professional wrestlers who didn't have a hip hop ish theme song, <laughs> I can count on one hand if I was missing two fingers. And <laughs> fingers, one of them was Ahmed Johnson, who you can tell me this isn't a rib, I won't believe you. They gave him a cover of Beck's song Loser because he'd never know about it. And that's <laughs> a rib. Like there's there's no way that wasn't a thing that was done on purpose. And that is, I think, emblematic of how black wrestlers were just viewed and even utilized or pre even presented to the audience. It's like, this is what we know about black people. And in the occasion that we don't know this about them, we're going to rib them anyway, kind of a thing. Yeah, no, I think that there's that, that we often talk about lack of representation in front of the camera. The real thing, the real thing that affects change is changing behind the camera, like more producers of uh, who are people of color, more trainers that are people of, of color that can advocate for their performers. And I think they're that the, the WWE has gotten orders of magnitude by more diverse, both uh, in terms of gender, even in terms of sexual orientation, but really in terms of race, they've really spread their wings, I guess you would put it. And I think the lens is the best way to put it, that the lens was along those same lines of you can't have a lead actor be black, that people aren't interested in the humanity of the performers in general. Uh, so why give them any defining characteristic other than some sort of tangential, tangential ver aspect of their blackness? Like they were defined by their blackness because it was the only hook that the WWF could think to grab onto. They just took the shorthand because again, it's this, there's no one in the room saying that's a problem. You can't do that, which is what a lot of whenever you somebody's about to get canceled or something happens that's crazy, like there's a racist ad on on television. There's always this question of like who let this get to the point where it was in front of people's eyes, and like you look at Vince McMahon, that's who did it. And I think the attitude error is interesting in particular because I think that that lens shifts a little bit that you can be a black uh, a performer who is a, a black person and not a black performer, even through something like the nation of domination. Like I think the nation of domination was an interesting group because it wasn't that they're the things they were saying were necessarily quote unquote wrong. It's the ways and that by any means necessary was the problem. Not that there had been racial animus in the, the history of wrestling and that it was crazy that their WWF doesn't has never had a black world heavyweight champion to this day. Nation of Domination and and other black performers of the era were allowed to actually like talk about race in a real way. And that's surprising when you look back at the Attitude Era, but then you realize that they literally had a race war storyline. So like it balances out in terms of the WWF, just not being able to stay away from race, but also not being able to deal with it in a mature way. For that, the nation storyline and even the race war storyline, I think that was probably the first time, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the lens was given to an actual person of color to present themselves through, which made it feel, if not authentic, at least respectful. Um, even if it was still cartoony in the end, to a degree, it was, well, I think it was, it was useful at the very least, um, and hiring good and like tiptoeing into great because it, that that step was, yeah, you, you, you pass them the mic, 
and that was very important. Yeah, it wasn't saying Coco Beware is like this, or Akeem the African Dream, who's not a black guy, but obviously, like, or Bad News Brian. Bad News Brian got to talk, but he was always framed as, like, this thug. Like, he was never framed as a person yeah. who had actual grievances. It was always just, like, he's a whiny thug from Harlem. And he doesn't know the difference between a rat and a possum. <laughs> Neither do the guys from OSW Review, so I think it's okay. <laughs> I know, I know. I, it is, it is cringy every time. I guess, I guess maybe, uh, maybe they don't have those in Ireland. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> but I think that, like, you look at a bad news brown, and then you look through the attitude era, and there's, it, you get this transition from like black people having their stories told for them to them telling their stories and having them framed in a certain way to being able to tell their stories and frame their stories, and then there's just this massive regression. I mean, at the same time, you 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 see more black athletes like you see a um, MVP or a um, oh god Kofi Kingston something like that you also get crime time which like I don't know how to feel about crime time but I know that like it should have been done better even if you wanted to argue that it was a fun gimmick and like they could make those characters work it should have been done better like they fucking stole the titles and i get like your name is crime time but it's like couldn't they have earned the titles and then had been cheated out of the titles and then stole them back because the guys stole them from them in the first place like there's this idea that like it's okay if we play into stereotypes because we don't actually mean them and i feel like crime time was this massive regression in a lot of ways from the attitude era and it's the weird thing because the thing you said earlier representation is important I guess for all different kinds of people. But Booker T was a king. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that that came that was the same time, and that was did did Booker come before or after Crime Time? I think it's in the general might... time frame of each other. Yeah, right. I think they were in the same video game at least once. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if we'll touch on it later, but Booker T coming out as King Booker was one of the most important things to ever happen to wrestling, and Crime Time specifically. It's it it seemed obvious that it was tongue in cheek. But there are people who dress and speak that way. Um, they don't necessarily want to condone robbing everybody, like as the name does Im- indicate. But that I don't know if we had people who spoke and looked that way on screen at that point in time. So that part was important. But to your point, could have been done better, perhaps. Um, maybe not name the group Crime Time, possibly. Yeah, there's uh, there's something to be said about having. Um, I don't want to, I don't know how really to say people who feel like working class people that you're watching, like, I, I don't know if you call crime time working class, but like, I mean, no, you know what? It's a job. It's a job. I'm not here to job shame. Like they're, you know, they move product. I don't see what the problem is, but I feel like they, again, they don't need to be called crime time. You can have black performers who speak like people who are in that community and not have it be that they like all they do is dance and steal shit (laughs) like like there are ways to do it that they completely missed and it's it's frustrating because that's a that those two guys were good performers and it's a gimmick that could have worked if they did it in a way that was authentic and tongue-in-cheek and they never quite and i think and we'll get to it in a minute i think they got there with the new day but i think like crime time in a lot of ways is a is a step towards the new day but it's also like a step to the side of new day like they could have went on two paths and they went with the comedy but without the stereotypes per se and like i think kofi kingston for me is kind of the 
the new the new day of of black performers in terms of uh, meaning like it is a new day not the group because he is the first guy who they had that they treated the way they would like they had him from jamaica initially right and then they decided like that's stupid let's just announce that he's from ghana because it's way more interesting and then they just kind of let him be like uh, we'll talk about in the essential viewing uh when we get to it um Kofi Kingston was, yeah, he was treated as like, and this happens to a lot of black performers, Sheldon Benjamin comes to mind. Uh, Oh, he's such a great athlete. But he was also treated as a guy that was charismatic and over with the fans because he was like a smart wrestler that they liked. And he was the first guy I remember being treated as a character on the show who was black, not a black guy on wrestling. Did you feel the same way or did you, do you have somebody who came in earlier for you, Darren? Well, I just checked it right now. King Booker came in, came around in 06, which is when Kofi debuted for ECW. So I guess they were on a had a good year. Um, <laughs> prior to that point, like, like Ahmed was sort of one. He he was just Southern. He wasn't necessarily black per se. Um, I think I gravitated. I might have unwittingly gravitated towards that without knowing what was happening at the time, because um, I loved Ahmed Johnson. And he was just, yeah, he was a big dude. He was like six, three and 300 pounds. And that was awesome. And he had a uh, finisher that sounded really cool too. And he killed a guy on shotgun one time. Um, <laughs> murdered him. He did the pro river plunge from the top rope. And the guy just murdered him. Um, dead. Just dead. <laughs> and Vince said his name the best. <laughs> Ahmed Johnson. Is that how it is? Did I get it? Um Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I, I think specifically whichever video game it was. It was whichever in your house. Oh yeah, Juice Make Sugar. Yeah, yeah, it was um, in your house. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, yeah. but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, before before Kofi though, hard pressed to recall specifically. Yeah, he was just like a dude. Yeah. It was great. It was like, oh, and I, I, I said this a bunch of times before because I think we we can start talking about the New Day. New Day was the first group of people, not just black performers of people that felt like my friends like people i grew up with and the fact that they were blurred they were black nerds like was really like that's who i gra- always gravitated towards like people who liked wrestling and comic books and shit and that just happened to be a lot of black dudes but like video ga- and video games and shit like that it was just like oh these are these are the people i hang out like this is darren this is like omar these are people i hang out with that like I don't feel like they're doing an impression of a person I hang out with. They're the people that I do hang out with. And that was really cool for me. You know, it's like a white guy. But I also was excited to for you and a lot of my black wrestling fan friends who got to see themselves in people who were like them. Because my entire life, I've had a wrestler to pick from that was my guy, that was like me. Like Daniel Bryan right now is basically like a slightly shorter version of me who can wrestle. Like... For you, did you was that like a special moment for you when the New Day started to like click and started to make sense even after their shitty initial gimmick? Well, hang on, let me get my shit in real quick before I hate myself forever. Um, first of all, JTG, the most underrated wrestler in the two thousands. First, uh, second, Shelton Benjamin. Goddamn it, he was the first one who I can recall that wasn't like a black gimmick. Um, he was just a collegiate athlete who was super good, and he's my favorite <laughs> to this day. Um, so go Shelton Benjamin. He's gonna win the Rumble next year. Book it. Um, uh, for New Day specifically, <laughs> specifically, yeah. Um, even when they had the announcement videos, that alone was super exciting because that was similar to – it was a different version of Crime Time where they're leaning into 
this section of a community or this least this intersection or section of a community that's represented by a group of people and it wasn't something that had been done before um with this much i want to say effort even just effort yeah they, they had the, the promo packages that were really good it was exciting to see kofi again um it was exciting to see that they didn't just drop the ball on that moment that xavier came out and recruited kofi and biggie like them following through alone was huge just the simple fact that they fell they followed through um so yeah i was excited from the jump because it was something that i hadn't necessarily seen before um the fact that it fell flat at the beginning um you can ask my wife about this i was complaining the entire time every time i saw them i was like giving notes to the screen about what they need to do how fast they need to, they need to clap what the song needs to be different why aren't they doing a team finisher yet i constantly had had a, had criticisms because i guess i felt like I, it needed to be good because <laughs> they had an opportunity that was not going to come back again because they don't take these these chances very often it felt like and so when and i can tell you the exact moment where they hit their stride was they were feuding with primetime players who were the faces and champions at the time and kofi had his first kid and they came out with a mega dad of the year sign <laughs> Sorry, I fucking love that. the skip clap that was the first time I, I recall that they did that in the intro while holding the mega dad of the year sign <laughs> like i think kofi was clap they were doing they were clapping before that sort of cartoonishly in the intro but that was the first time they like w walked down the ramp skipping and clapping at the same time and that was the exact moment they got over and that, that like i remember talking to you about it like we were like oh no this is it this is it yeah. Like they got it. They figured it out because everything up until that point, even in a couple live events, the crowd just didn't know what to do with them. Even when they were supposed to be the highlights of the matches, I specifically recall there was a match with Miz and Mizdow versus New Day, and it was New Day's storyline. But everyone just cared about Mizdow because there was nothing to latch onto with New Day at the time. So yeah, no. Big they big. also felt like one of the first group of performers that had played video games before and like understood the symbols and signals and the signifiers of that so like when one of my favorite things that the new day does is when xavier used to do the trombone to like the actual hits like that to me was this like we're thinking about wrestling on a different level like to me those three are I think all three of them were destined to be successful no matter what, but like that combination of those three is like one of the great miracles of professional wrestling is like, they're perfectly situated with each other. They're perfect. They have the perfect, I don't want to say the perfect gimmick, but they have the perfect personas. They have the perfect like range of motion for them, especially now. But even when they first started, they were allowed to do things because, and I think this is something that happens a lot with younger performers in general, is you can slip in stuff that people don't know and reference things that people don't know. And it just totally like goes over their heads. So you can say shit. And it felt like we were in on something in a way that like you don't really get in wrestling it was a, and i don't know how you felt dave but like for me it was always just like i hope they don't mess this up i hope they keep them like cool's the wrong word but like not dorks oh no well number one uh i think you're trying to say that white people don't know what skeet means uh number uh yes <laughs> <laughs> exactly right uh to, to another dave Chappelle callback well, it, it, it kind of gets back to what Darren was saying just a minute ago, though. It's like when they first debuted The New Day with those original vignettes, the whole direction was like, quote unquote, positivity. 
And like at first, I think one of the reasons it took the fans a while to embrace it because there was a serious concern that like it was sort of a corny, paternalistic, racist view of positivity and what it meant to be like a positive young role model as like a black man. But I think that when they won the crowd over was when they just said positivity just means fun. It means having a good time. And that's when, like, as you said, these people like turned into your best friends who you were turning into watch every week, which was a lifesaver for the WWE because like they really got over right at a time that everything else was tanking. And especially as the, sh as they were starting to pile on more and more content, they really deserve a ton of credit as, as one of the acts that's really kept the WWE afloat in the three-hour era. Yeah, they are huge, like, cornerstones of the company, like, performers. Xavier Woods is a huge part of the online presence for the WWE. Like, these performers are the some of the guys of this generation. And and you kind of see it, because uh, the other thing with the power of positivity for me was that they did a really good job of putting an edge to it that was like actually like we're positive because if we're not positive we'll lose our fucking minds and i like that was cool that they were like again it was it almost felt like we were getting in on something where like it was almost like they were working themselves into a shoot but they were oh, they were allowed to exist in a space that a not like becky lynch gets to be in that space and i feel like the new day got there quicker than almost any other group i can think of in part because xavier is so good on the mic that you could get away with stuff that you did like not i keep on saying getting away you could you they were trusted in a way that you just don't see performers get trusted in part and they uh, when they did the e60 on the on NXT Michael Cole had been pushing for Xavier Woods basically from the second Xavier Woods got in the door. Like Xavier Woods is one of the, and we're going to talk about him as consequences, Creed and TNA. He's like one of the bright stars in the industry as a human being. He's like a PhD. He's a PhD in elementary education, I believe. And he's also a top notch performer who runs the, like a, a, a video game channel on YouTube facilitated by the WWE that has a million subscribers. Like he was in the history of, of wrestling. I think we will look at Xavier Woods impact outside the ring to be maybe more than his impact inside the ring. And to have him with a guy like Kofi, who's such a well-respected uh, veteran. And then a guy like Big E, who is like the definition of a star. Like it was just this, they, they were given a lot of free reign. And I think that goes to what you were talking about in terms of like our nervousness of this is going to be like another backwards gimmick. This is going to be crime time, but like with, with choirs, like this, that, that change from like positivity as this corny thing to positivity is like, we do this because it's the only thing that keeps us from going insane. Like, I think that was really a shift that they were allowed to do because A, the gimmick didn't, as originally planned by Vince McMahon, didn't work out. And by B, they were guys that you could really trust. They had already made Big E, Big E Langston, the NXT champion. They had him beat Seth Rollins. Like, these were people, this was the shield almost with an older performer in terms of their trust of these guys. And it just so happened they worked out perfectly as this tag team. Yeah, and I remember too... Um... First, like in terms of the, the call the call out to certain fandoms, when when Xavier would play the Final Fantasy VII mm -hmm. victory song uh, in the middle of a match, 
again, like stuff that they could spit in that the producers and or Vince would just not know or care about or ever notice for any reason like that. I was super duper heartbroken that one WrestleMania when they were supposed to do all the big cross promotional stuff. And then I think a lot of it got cut because of time. And they just did the intro where like one of them had like a stuffed Moogle on his shoulder and the other one had like a Chocobo. I, I was so bummed out that they didn't get to do more because in the lead up to that, in the like, in the crossover of RPG nerddom and wrestling nerddom, there was actually kind of a lot of buzz for that. And then I think for time reasons, a lot of it got caught. So that was, or sorry, cut rather, C-U-T. A lot of it got cut. And uh, I, I was very disappointed in that moment. I, I, I'm both uh, touched and mad now that Darren brought it up. The insideness of that is, it's the most important thing that they had going for them. Even me not being a Final Fantasy fan, recognizing what it is that they're doing you just start giggling like an idiot because it's like, that's, like, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, you it's can't hilarious. believe they're getting away with it. There's a gift that gets passed around the internet of Xavier in early NXT um, of him saying the line, the roof is not my son, but I will raise it. Like, that's all you need to know. Like, he knows what he's doing out there. The other reason that they totally fucking trusted the New Day is because they sold more shirts than God himself. The unicorn shirt. That was really the one where it was like, the, no, the New Day are for real I like they're part of the iconography of the history of wrestling now. Oh, totally agree. Uh, my my wife was a casual wrestling fan, and I always kind of use her as a barometer of what a, a normal person thinks when it comes to wrestling. Like she loves the unicorn shirt, and like she has said that like if she was ever gonna buy a wrestling shirt, it would be that one because like if you're in, you're in, and if you're not in, it's just this like ridiculous, awesome, you know, graphic that like if someone was wearing that shirt in public, even if it didn't stand for anything else, you'd be like kind of looking at them. It's definitely very eye catching and very cool. And it's like, even if you're not in, it's cool. But like, if you're in, you're in, and it's super cool. Yeah. I've actually had people when I have went to Disney, I was wearing the original new day, the, the green, red, and uh, yellow shirt on the, it's like a, olive green background but it's the new day symbol and that's it it doesn't say new day anywhere on the front or anything like that and i had somebody walk past me and start clapping and i said to kate i was like see i, I fucking told you i told you <laughs> like new day has a resonance because of so many different fandoms that it's put its its fingers in many sinister soups that there's a pop culture relevancy that they haven't transcended the WWE, but they are like the people that the WWE has host their network, the, the USA Network special for the year, the year end awards and stuff like that. Like that is they're ambassadors. Yeah, they're exactly. They're ambassadors. They are ambassadors for the company in a way that like you don't get to be unless you're on a John Cena level. And to me, they're not quite John Cena, but they're like, they're one of the groups like right now today, I think Big E and Xavier Woods are Hall of Famers. Without any singles career of serious note, they are already Hall of Famers because of the run they put together the last five years. This is like a transcendent run. They have the longest the title reign, and they have that like the unicorn gimmick. I think like really gave them another couple of years of life. I think like their ability to switch gimmicks from unicorn to pancakes. I know it sounds silly to say it like that from booty from unicorns to bootios to pancakes to whatever comes next. They're really good unicorns to bootios to ice cream <laughs> to pancakes. They're, yes, thank you, Darren. They're really good at reinventing themselves in a way that takes what they've done previously and stretches it out towards the future. I think that is probably their best skill as almost like uh, as business unto themselves, like as a small cottage industry within the larger context of wrestling. They're especially good at keeping their characters relevant 
and having them be in important things without being the entire show themselves. 100%. And I'm going to say this um, spoiler-free, but because it just came to me. the A good example of what New Day is and how they have um, just extended their longevity is The Good Place. That show has taken bare-bones elements and shifted and twisted and readjusted to give the possibility for extension better than almost any show I've ever seen in my life. Um, just they recontextualize what they're doing very, very well. And it's not like a lateral move. It's just a slight shift of the exact same thing to keep people comfortable, but also happy that there's something new happening. And again, hopefully that wasn't too spoiler written, but it's a great show if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Backing up a little bit about the, the unicorns though, specifically, another thing that I think helped it, it, this was never on the banner for the unicorns, like the, the presence of the, of the unicorns, but what it was doing, and I heard or read somebody talk about this one time years ago, is that it's sort of the opposite of like the rigid masculinity of every other type of marketing that wrestling does. Like it's not, there's no snakes, there's no lightning bolts, there's no swords or hammers or demons or scribbly writing. It's bright, colorful, My Little Pony looking iconography. And that is totally like outside of Bailey, we don't have anything like that or didn't have anything like that before. Uh, along those same lines, I feel like they are allowed to be in support of the women's division the way that no other performers are, where like they are explicitly like constantly pushing the women's, Seth Rollins too. And I feel like Seth Rollins and the New Day are very similar in ways we don't totally realize in the sense that they're both groups of, they're, it's Seth Rollins himself and the New Day together are like, stalwarts that the company trusts to do things and therefore they get the freedom to like xavier woods wears becky lynch's shirt under his gear they are allowed to challenge the ideas of what it means to be a male performer on wwe in a way that's transgressive almost and i i feel like it's i didn't think about it that way that they are allowed to exist outside the context of especially with and we'll get we can start talking about them now the usos like the usos are this very traditionally masculine not like toxically masculine but this masculine group of guys and I, I feel like with the New Day, they are allowed to exist outside of that, like, I'm going to talk about how small your balls are or that you're there in your white's purse kind of thing. Like, do they, like, during the rap battle, they brought up that Jimmy's only famous, or Jay, whichever one's married to Naomi's only famous, can Naomi put him on Total Divas? Racist. What's up? I said, I said, I coughed racist at you, Nick. It's Jimmy, whose name is actually okay. John, if you watch Total Divas. So it's, it's confusing as fuck is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> two sets of canonical names that's the problem i love i i have no beef with total divas uh at least not anymore but the fact that certain characters have two canonical names drives me crazy there's a thing my wife and i refer to ourselves independently as unicorns before we met each other because we were like educated black people who liked being like hood as fuck but also code switching is our favorite thing in the world and that kind of it, that I don't know if that's a term outside of us. I have an inkling that it might be. And I think it's important that they chose the unicorn in that way because they got to do, they got to do everything in the way that John Cena does, but with fewer directions for John. In that they can go be hyper masculine with the Usos, but they can also go and high five Bailey backstage and dance with her and put her on their, on their shoulders. They get to shift around in ways that people like the Usos don't get to because they're locked into their characters. 
And that gives them the storytelling ability that you were talking about before. Yeah, I think code switching is a really important aspect of this. It's code switching in terms of their language, the way they're speaking, and code switching in terms of like kayfabe, because people like people can't cut promos on John Cena because he's just going to go, oh, well, I've heard this on, on this episode before. Why don't, you try, why don't you try something different? Try cutting a better promo. And no one else gets to use the word promo. That's not fair. It's, it's Austin saying, oh, you're not really dead. You're just a big dude. I can beat you up. It's like they're able to step outside of whatever gimmick somebody's locked into, and they can't defend against that because they've only got one direction to go. And New Day has been given that ability to do that because they've earned it, basically. It's really important. They have been able to actually elevate an entire division simply by uh, being allowed to be themselves and not be protected against themselves in the way that you see, especially with the Raw tag division. There's this fear that like if they let people become too big of stars that something bad will happen and i feel like the new day they became such big stars so quickly they couldn't like put like a cap on them they just went you know what whatever like it's working and so you have like on, on smackdown live you have the usos you have the new day you have sanity even kind of and you have the bar who are the champions and you, you because the new day is there and they can kind of be the default champions it really changes the dynamic of the entire thing like they can then be the people who are stars to the rest of the you know like they are they're charlotte yeah exactly it allows because they were allowed to do whatever they wanted for so long and i think they're tied down by gimmicks and whatever but they make them their own they're really good at synthesizing ideas so it's a new day idea it's not a wwe idea that the new day is implementing and i i feel like that's Above all else, they're str- again, it goes back to the, the evolving, the constant evolution of their characters without changing things wholesale. Like, big, they haven't turned heel in years. Like, literally, like, three years they've been babyfaces f- for the most part. They have done what they needed to do to get the division over, and I wonder... Because uh, they've said multiple times they're going to stay along together as long as they possibly can. So, like, for you... Do you want them to keep going until Kofi retires? Or do you want to see them break apart, if not necessarily acrimoniously, but just in general, do you want to see some sort of uh, New Day version of the... Uh, sorry, like a... a yeah. Do you, do you want them to split up in the way that like Ryback and Curtis Axel broke up? Where it was just like X-Man, Rydog, or whatever the hell they called each other. Uh Big guy. Axel. No, 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 no. Big guy and uh, Axeman. That's what they called themselves when they were friends. I'm going to... Oh, yeah. yeah. Asshole. That's a long time ago, Nick. <laughs> oh, I had two kids and I'm old. You know what? Get over it, man. <laughs> uh, they have, like, where it's like there's no animosity. They just, like, split. Or would you prefer to, would you prefer them to stay together, to split acrimoniously, or to split without acrimony in three separate or two separate? Like, would you rather see all three of them go in a different direction? Would you rather see, like, Kofi and Xavier become a tag team? Or do you think that would completely ruin the New Day gimmick? And Or do you want them to stay together until Kofi retires 10 years from now? Um, anything that doesn't involve the word friends um, as, as the, the, um, the, the catalyst for what they're doing. Because, um, well, I, I guess anything to do with them breaking up because of the word friends, because that's the worst trope in wrestling that the poor women's division is still saddled with on a constant basis. Just 
this is happening because we were friends and now we're not, or we're bad friends, and that's just in that's the worst possible storyline for them to have, and for a lot of other people too. So it's a great story overall, like outside of the on-screen product, if they go until Kofi retires. That's just a that's a great way to have that play out. It would also be great if they decided to like buck the trend and like openly say, hey, rock, paper, scissors, we stay together. Um, rock, paper, scissors, we split apart amicably. Um, because that's like outside of, I guess, Ryback and um, Curtis Axel, it's not usually done. It's always, you're supposed to be my friend into the guardrail. You were so. supposed to be my friend! Oh, I'm so glad you're on the show so we can make ex- really obscure Batista references. <laughs> it's not even obscure, but it happens all the time. We it's- were supposed to be my friend! It sounds like nails in that promo. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if if they were to make it like a public thing, like where they tease the, oh, we're going to break up because we don't like each other. But no, actually, we love each other. And we're going to try this for a little while and see what happens. And we're probably going to get back together again because we're really good friends and we love each other deeply. Yeah, we're not friends. We're brothers. They're like actual like family members, it seems like. Like they, Xavier and Big E in particular, in and out of K-Pay, their love of Kofi is is what is one of the driving forces of the entire narrative of in a meta sense and in a like actual kayfabe sense of like where they're going going forward and i i I feel like kofi's legacy and i we talked about a little bit kofi's legacy is going to be maybe the most profoundly changed other than the mizzes from guys of his generation where he went from a a borderline hall of famer because he was going to have a bunch of internet internet intercontinental title reigns and maybe a couple of tag team reigns to like a surefire when he retires first ballot where do you have kofi's legacy in your like head canon of wrestling like you the the one the the description you gave before about him being the most turnaround of a character outside of the miz is exactly that um the guy i don't know if you expected a lot of him from the jump because of the first gimmick and then you started to expect a little bit more when they re- moved away from it with the Orton feud. And then you expected nothing after that because it was obvious they weren't going to do anything for him. Yeah. Like, um, you you couldn't have expected... You, you couldn't have been so sure that a guy was never going to be world champion but was going to be on TV forever than, like, Kofi. Unless you're talking about The Miz, Dolph, Mr. Perfect, that kind of a thing. Like, you never really thought that they were going to get there, but you were still kind of happy to see them. And it's nice that they're still around. The fact that you can discuss hall of fame, like before your 70 hall of fame for Kofi is it's massive. And that turnaround is, it's almost unprecedented. Like it's, it's yeah. The fact that he, the only difference between him and Miz is that Miz has already been world champion and there's a chance he mm-hmm. could get it again. And there's a possibility that Kofi and and the group get to be world champion with the Freebird rule, and and the list of outcomes. I'd love that too because it would be hilarious, and that would it would move them out of well, they're already out of just being a good tag team. Like they're not a tag team; they're an institution. They're they're DX at yeah. this point. So. They're they're not even DX. They're like the Freebirds. They're legitimately like the modern Freebirds. They're like the tag team. The cultural, the tag team of the culture of the zeitgeist. They are that level of like 
cultural phenomenon for wrestling, which is like people will recognize the shirts even if they don't explicitly say it, which is like a big deal. That's why why I said DX2 in, in terms of at least WWE in terms of how important yeah. they are and the fact that they could go away, they could split up at any point in time and then come back in three years and everyone would be super pleased about it. Like it would be, and they could have right. run easily. When they come back, is it going to be Xavier Woods building an army or just... <laughs> no, it's it's more like they come back in three years and the product has changed again and they just adjust to it the way like PGDX did with a super kicking children off screen. Like, yeah, it's you <laughs> that, that little shit deserved it though. <laughs> but no, they, they can do anything and they're going to be allowed to do anything because they're going to do it well. So they, the, inter, again, just going back to the question of in terms of what I want for them, anything except them breaking up because they're bad friends, because that's the most unbelievable thing that I could think would happen to that team. Yeah. That would be such a load of bullshit. It, just, nobody, <laughs> it would, nobody would buy it at all. It's just ridiculous. So almost anything else that you described would be good in terms, except maybe just like fading off television quietly. But even that, like they deserve a break. Why, why not? Given that, where do you see, because to me, and I th- I've said this to you a thousand times, Big E is a future Hall, not future Hall of Famer, future, should be a future world champion. Do you see that for Big E? And do you see that anywhere near that, like a 205 version for Xavier Woods, or do you feel like they kind of spent their cultural capital in the WWF in terms of getting over their like overness capital on the New Day, or do you feel like it's going to be a like Roman Reigns kind of thing where like Big E gets pushed to the moon when people are really like, oh well, Xavier is really good. You should push Xavier. We don't like Big E or Kofi, but Kofi's like already retired and asleep. Like, where for you do you do you see either of them? becoming wwe champion a world champion in their weight class or he has the biggest chance of that for sure but i think it's more likely that xavier gets u.s champ before that ever happens um only because the because they happen to be on smackdown and that's the quote-unquote important title like lineage wise and legacy wise having it be held by three people might diminish whatever imaginary crap they think the belt means um and i i get that that would that would take some universe expansion on the WWE's part that I don't think they're willing to do in terms of what the world title picture can look like. Again, unless it was like a Money in the Bank win, and they do um, like they did in the Rumble that one time, where they all three walk walk out together and then send one on, and they have they have the other two just back them up. In that way, you don't necessarily have the Freebird World title, but you have the New Day as like the briefcase holder or the number one contender. And you don't know who gets it until it happens. That's got to be E out of the three of them, unless it's Kofi's like last run thing. Yeah, that would be the other thing I could think of is they give Kofi a last run. That's when they'll become world champion. Now that we've figured out how the New Day helps explain wrestling, I have the question that's been on my mind this entire time. If you were to add a fourth member of Bailey. the New Day, yeah, who Bailey. would it be? You, yeah, Bailey. There's. <laughs> I don't know if you need anything more than that. Just fucking look at them. In terms of bubblegum cuteness, um, positivity, um, just he doesn't have the charisma link that they do, but I think she could learn it if she hung around him more, honestly. See, because for me, I was going to say Charlotte Flair. I thought that would clearly, or Seth Rollins. Really, Seth Rollins is the one I would pick, the captain. But uh, I think I'd like to see Charlotte Flair hang out with them and just be like the like the 
the enforcer slash champion who just like beats the shit out of people. Like I want her to turn them heel so that she like does a deal with them where they get all of the titles. And that's how they like agree. It's like, we're just going to rule over all of SmackDown. Um, Cause I just really want to see a mixed match challenge tag team between Big E and Charlotte, the two biggest monsters on the roster. Like I just want them to fuck people up. That's all I want. Now you've got me imagining yeah. Seth Rollins cutting like a New Day promo. Like, the WWE Universe is Bodie. <laughs> then he spins his arm at big windmills. <laughs> so Darren, do you how do you how do you feel about my? Uh, my Charlotte-ification of the New Day. Is that, is that offensive to you? Offensive? No. Um, again, I guess I took the easy way out because, you know, they match and it's already pretty set up on itself if, without any actual work. So, no, yeah, I would... I'm I'm all for a more... Uh, what's the word? Dramatic shift for New Day. Um, so something like Charlotte happening, switching them to be a little more badasses instead of um, good-timey would be good because they can do both. They can do all of it. Um, I'd, I'd watch that. How about you, Dave? Well, I actually like Darren's idea of Bailey a lot, but uh, as someone from the Bay Area in my head, I I ultimately, like, I see, like, a heel turned Bailey as, like, a really nasty person in a faction with the Usos just because they're from the Bay Area. You know what I mean? So <laughs> just, like, a click of, I imagine them coming out to, like, the most obnoxious possible, like, E-40 song. And, uh, and that being a gimmick, that being a gimmick that I would be really excited with. So, so the new day can't have Bailey because she she's with the Usos uh, in in my in my fantasy book to WWE Universe. Oh my God, Dave, I'm rubbing my eyes right now because you've just opened up a world that I'll never have, and I'm so upset about it. Because look at the, look at the T-shirt. Read the T-shirt out loud for me right now. Bay one ish. I'm so upset right now. So mad. You should get that to your marketing <sighs> department immediately. Uh, uh, so yeah, so not Bailey. If not Bailey, then who would you pick for the new day? Well, I think Sasha. I, I think yeah, she fits for a lot of, I think she fits for a lot of the same reasons. She's got the bright pink hair. She's got the incandescent thing. It kind of uh, matches their style already. She's done some kind of playful stuff with them in the past already. So she's kind of already, you know, got that established rapport with them. But I, I agree that I think the logical and best move would, would be to, to make a woman part of the team. Cause I kind of think that that's the future of wrestling is, is, is not necessarily like DX versus the corporation, but I think that having factions that have members of both genders in them is kind of the next thing. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so I, I like Sasha for that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that is the, where the next evolution of where you can have them be in multi-person matches and not have to worry about like, oh, well, is it going to be mixed? But like you have four people, Charlotte's one of them. She can fight with any of the guys. Like we're, I think they will eventually move towards intergender wrestling. And I think that will be the first major step is like, have them actually be a faction together. I totally agree. Um, so Both genders and cruiserweights. Yes. Um, <laughs> So, Darren, you did have something to plug this week. What do you have to plug? Um, for those listeners who don't know, I work at WWE Studios. So February 14th at Select Theaters and February 22nd nationwide, Fighting With My Family, the TV, I'm not sorry, the movie about Paige's life and her family coming up through NXT and the, to the WWE. 
co-starring, not actually co-starring, he's in there for a minute and a half, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but he did produce it, co-produced it, and directed by Stephen Merchant. Um, it's a good flick. Florence Pugh did a really good job as Paige, aka Soraya. Um, I'm shilling here, but I actually have seen the movie a few times in the theaters with actual audiences and a bunch of other times for illegal reasons because I have to make sure people didn't wear illegal t-shirts because why would you ever wear a band t-shirt in a movie? Idiots. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually pretty good. Um, I'm saying that not just as a shill, but as a human being with eyes and emotions. Uh, pretty good flick. Recommend it. Yeah, it looked great. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like, it actually does look like a movie I could also get Kate to go see. And it's involved wrestling, so it's nice. Uh, yeah, I've heard that, I've heard that both uh, the, the woman who plays Paige is excellent. And I've also heard that Tessa Blanchard is, like, really, really good as her stunt double. As well. I've heard that the scenes with Tessa wrestling as Paige are Yeah, you can't tell. You literally, like, the, the cinematography was done very well. Um, and Tessa, yeah. Tessa did Tessa things. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Um, so, Dave, did you have anything in particular to plug or just the Twitter this week? Oh, just my own sweet self, as usual, the Twitter, uh, at Dave Writes Junk. Uh, also, I, as usual, or as not usual enough, I guess, uh, I want to remind people just to be following the brand Twitter account, which is at H-W-E-T-W-Pod, at H-W-E-T-W-Pod, at H-W-E-T-W-Pod, say it three times so people remember it. Um, but uh, yeah, make sure to follow that account because we're going to really be expanding our use of that over the next couple of uh, weeks and months. And, um, you know, Nick and I just kind of like piecemeal tweet links back and forth. Like each of us will post all the links and then we usually retweet each other and stuff. But um, I think the best way going forward to really stay up to date on what we're doing in terms of new episodes and additional content in our ever-expanding library is going to be moving forward by following that branded account. So head on over to at H-W-E-T-W on Twitter. Also, of course, of course, you should also check out our Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W. Isn't it perfect how all those letters are the same in both? It's so easy to remember. Uh, so uh, if you go over to that Patreon page, you can check out some of that other content I've been talking about. Um, of course, there are the follow-up files, which in the past I have done, those after-show notes. I'm excited to say that uh, Nick is taking over the responsibility on those. Not that I'm excited just not to be doing them anymore, uh, but I'm excited to get Nick's kind of fresh take and new perspective on them, because I've been doing them a certain way for six months or whatever the heck it's been. Uh, so I, I'm excited to see uh, a new approach, but I'm, I'm going to use that time. I'm not doing follow-up files to create even more uh, great content for patrons. So uh, check out Patreon to learn more about how you can support the show, uh, like Henry Bramson, like Michael Montalvo, like Darren Jackson, like Mark Masick, uh, like Dylan Roth, all those sexy wizards out there. Get your ass over to patreon.com slash H-W-E-T-W. Also, of course, read all the things at the wrestling estate that are about the wrestling, because I write there about the wrestling sometimes. Okay, that's it, Nick. Uh, and you can check me out. I'm sorry, Darren, you were going to say sorry. Can, can I just say how much, how much I appreciate Dave channeling Paul Bearer there in the middle of that? Because it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> oh, yes. A plus. <laughs> uh, and you can check me out at the Nixer. That's T-H-E-N-1-C-K-S-T-E-R. As Dave said, check out H-W-E-T-W pod on Twitter as well. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on the iTunes. Check us out at the Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify store. And also you can subscribe to us on howwrestlingexplains.podbean.com. Though in the next couple of weeks, we'll be announcing a change to that. So get exciting. Um, and I guess, I, I don't really, did you, did you, either of you have anything you wanted to say before we go? 
I'm not feeling great about that half black face line I made earlier. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> I think the only thing that we can possibly say after this episode is new day rocks. Day rocks. New, new day rocks. <laughs> that was the... There's a lot of lag. Yeah, well, lag. you know what? A lot of lag and two out of three white guys. <laughs> Tongue secure, and the promise that you're right in every way.